Welcome to Because and Effect, the podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on our lives. My name is Nolan Bignall. Alexis Canoe knows water. As the executive director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, Alexis and her team make it their mission to educate, advocate, and maintain our most precious resource. I'm trained as a scientist, so I'm trained to understand the scientific method and to be able to understand and use data. Uh, but I really have a passion for it, the connections that mm. come in the nonprofit sector, right? And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the work of figuring out the policy side of things and, and ways in which that the science and the policy can start to communicate more effectively. I sat down with Alexis Canoe, the executive director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, to talk about the current state of our lakes and rivers, creating the connection between science and policy, and why we need to show respect and reverence for the water one of our most precious resources. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Alexis Canoe. She's the executive director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation. Alexis, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I actually have to say, one of the first, so seven or eight years ago when I first got started with the foundation, the very first thing I edited for video was an interview you did with Noah Ehrenberg way back in the day, sitting in the foundation offices. So like, it's weird that I've, you know, stared at your face answering questions for for so long, but we're just now meeting now. A radio interview. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. So now we're we're one step up. We're seeing each other at least, and maybe in the future we can meet in person. Um, maybe let's start there. How how has the last sort of year and a half been for you and the Lake Winnipeg Foundation when it comes to you know the pandemic and Zoom meetings and everything that you guys have had to handle uh, in that way? How how's it been on your end? Well, I think like everybody, there's been a lot of adaptation and a lot of uh, pivoting is a word that we hear a lot of these days. Um, Our organization reacted very quickly. So we shifted right away to a remote remote work situation in mid-March. Part of of our mission is to make decisions based on data for Lake Winnipeg. So we apply that as well when it comes to public health uh, situations. And then we, uh, our staff team and our science advisors worked really hard to make sure that our monitoring programs, which were about to launch in March, could still proceed. So we were able to keep um, our staff and our volunteers engaged on the ground in a safe way throughout uh, last year's sampling season and this year's sampling season. Very cool. Yeah. So obviously the world has kind of changed quite a bit. Um, Do you think, I mean, just this is popping off the top of my head, but do you think it's like for people that had to stay home and weren't going out more, has the, have the lakes been busier or less busy? Because I feel like it might go either way because people are either going out because now they can't, you know, meet, but they can go out and be in nature and stuff. So have you noticed sort of an increase in traffic or, or what's that been like? Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're all stuck close to home and we have amazing lakes here in our province and people are flocking to them. So uh, I've hearing, I'm hearing that from my friends. I'm hearing that from our members. I'm experiencing it at my own place on the lake. So it just, the pandemic has really highlighted how important our lakes are for us uh, because they're refuges. They're, they're places we go to escape. They're places where we feel safe, where we can come together safely and, and find peace when the world is kind of 
turned upside down. Places we can go to meditate and, and refresh and, and rejuvenate ourselves for sure. Um, how long have you been with the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, first of all? I, w I was just counting that up on my fingers. It's been nine years nine since years. August. Coming up on 10. Congratulations. That's that's very cool. So over the last, what, what is, how has the conversation changed a decade ago when you first started compared to now in 2021 when, you know, climate, the climate crisis is on everyone's sort of, you know, top of mind? I, I think environmental priorities are, uh, are much more widely recognized than than they have been in the past. Certainly, the climate crisis has focused that um, concerns about industrial development and uh, resource extraction have certainly focused that. Water is is critical to being human, to being alive, and as we've said, it's critical to our well being above and beyond our need to to drink it, and so. Uh, yeah, I think the conversation has become more focused and and more attention is being generated. I loved what you wrote in the, your centennial essay earlier this year, back in April for the Winnipeg Foundation, and talking about how water is a, is a connector and not just, you know, because it connects people via boat and via transportation, but but more so in a community sense. Can you expand on that a little bit and, and what you meant when you when you said water is a connector? Well, I think we inherently and without even thinking about it, find ourselves gathering around water. I mean, many of our iconic gathering spaces as a community in Winnipeg are are focused on water. We think about the forks, think about many of our city parks, you know, water brings us together to uh, experience community, to experience the joy of the natural world. And we need to start celebrating that and, and recognizing that even if we haven't noticed it, it's been happening for for years, for decades, for centuries. So I'm struggling with this a lot. I, I was a water baby growing up at a little lake called Silver Beach by Russell, Manitoba. Always in the water, and I've loved surfing and swimming and, and all that, and I, and, I, and I love the water, and I've always sort of had this... I don't know if it's a respect or what, 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 but maybe a reverence for the water, especially when you're like in the ocean and you're surfing and you're just feeling the power of it. It's just, it's always been something that I've, I've really even inherently, I think respected, but what, where do you think the disconnect is when there's just a lack or an absence of that respect when people are just kind of throwing their garbage in or not really understanding the value, you know, like I, I, help me wrap my mind around why someone thinks that's okay. You know, like, have you dealt with this in your career? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is one of the biggest frustrations because it's a self-reinforcing vicious cycle, right? So once we start treating water poorly, once we start using it to dispose of our waste, that becomes okay. And that becomes the norm. And then we do more of it. And then we do more of it. And so it, it becomes harder and harder as that gets perpetuated to come back from that, to change our attitude towards water. And the city of Winnipeg, it's not recommended that we engage with the water in our rivers in any kind of recreational way. And to turn that around is much harder than to start from that place of, of reverence and respect. And one thing that you mentioned, you mentioned having those experiences as a kid. And I think those are critical, right? Because they're so formative when you're little and when when the world is new and fresh and beautiful. And I really think it's important that people have the opportunity to spend time in water when they're young because you don't forget it. It doesn't leave you. It's the best for sure. Yeah, I was a lifeguard and, you know, taught swimming lessons and everything back in the day. And 
Yeah, it just it breaks my heart when I see some of the states of because when I first moved to Winnipeg, I was like, you can't go in the river. Like it, it I it didn't compute as to why I, that would be a thing. You know, like it, it was. But I understand. There's so many people and there's so many you know competing sort of influences when it comes to what they have prioritized. But do you think that society is sort of trending towards more of a more of a respect for for our resources or do you think the trend is going in the wrong direction or or what do you think uh i think we are trending in the right direction but we maybe need to speed it up a little bit right we have to we have to move past uh saying the right thing towards doing the right thing so i hear more and more in society in political discourse you know people people are stating their intentions and their intentions are good uh, but sometimes action takes a long time to to follow. So, what for the average person who's just going to the beach? What 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 do you recommend that we can do? Like, I, I had to Google zebra mussels because when we went to Patricia Beach a couple weekends ago, it was just like, okay, this is a th- you know this is a thing now. But just for the average Joe that's just going camping or going out there, what what are some small baby steps that we can do to start sort of reversing the trend of of the disrespect? I think um, taking a moment to acknowledge the water that you're visiting, it sounds, mm. it sounds mm. really simple, but putting that intention behind the fact that you've come to a body of water and acknowledging it just, just sets a tone for the time that you'll spend there, a tone of respect and a, and a, a tone of recognition of what, what this gives us. Of course, we always recommend that people, you know, use responsible cleaning products and and maintain the vegetation along the shoreline and keep uh, follow in aquatic invasive species protocols. I think those are critically important and there are ways that people engage on an individual level in water stewardship, but we can't ignore the larger collective societal actions that we need to take, right? The things we need to ask our governments to do and hold them accountable for. So we we treat our waste collectively through wastewater treatment infrastructure in the city of Winnipeg. And we need to make sure that that waste is properly cleaned before it gets discharged into the river. That's a, that's a collective policy decision that we make as a society. And unfortunately, no amount of tiny little tweaks in our households is ever gonna add up to the scale with which we need to approach these these larger collective decisions. Very well said. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the acknowledgement too. Uh, I'm a non-Indigenous person, but I, I've spent a lot of time sort of researching and talking and learning about sort of the personification of bodies of water and, and how you treat it like a relative it, it really, because it is a living thing and you want to keep, you know, you wouldn't throw, throw garbage in your neighbor's face or your, or your child's face. So why would you throw it in the river and stuff? I did spend some time uh, at Shoal Lake 40 as well when it comes to the clean drinking water situation that they've been dealing with since forever. Um, do you, do you, you're obviously educated on the subject a little bit more. Have you thought about sort of potential solutions or what that, looks like or, or moving forward when, and of just getting drinking water to people in Manitoba that need it? I mean, I think uh, we're trapped in the idea that this is a difficult problem or mm. a complicated issue. Uh, we're sending rockets into space for tourism. <laughs> Wastewater treatment infrastructure <laughs> is pretty basic compared to space travel. So uh, I think we just can't accept 
the excuse that it's complicated and it's difficult anymore. I think we just need to say, you know what, we're, we're providing drinking water to in every urban municipality in the south of Canada. These are huge cities compared to the populations of some of the places where drinking water is unavailable. Uh, we need to get over that idea that it's difficult and complicated and get it done prioritize right like yeah. it, it just it shows what where the list of priorities are when, when the conversations are happening how much how much of your days or, or you know time is spent just educating people on sort of the basics first when it comes to these conversations or, or do you think people have a pretty good understanding of uh, of the basics at least I, I I'm always surprised by how much the Lake Winnipeg Foundation's members know about these issues like often they have they have intergenerational knowledge about changes that they've seen on the lake mm -hmm. and they care so much about the issue that they've, um, they've, they've educated themselves. Uh, I think our role a little bit is to serve as a collective memory for mm -hmm. policy issues and questions about the lake, because we've seen, you know, lots of commitments and lots of promises and lots of work done over the decades that sometimes get forgotten. And so our job is to remind people, maybe perhaps more than to educate them that, that obviously we do education, but yeah, to remind people that no, we, we said we were gonna do this and that's important because, and so let's proceed with that commitment. Right, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I didn't actually know that the Lake fin Winnipeg Foundation was a grantor as well. So maybe talk, talk about that process and and why it's important to to fund some smaller projects when that are that are coming to you with ideas and and how to sort of improve things. Yeah, we have been a, a grantor in the past. We've kind of closed down our our grant applications right now. Uh, yeah, makes sense. Our, our, we like everything. I think we've just had to shift. Um, but one of the things that we've tried to do is to provide other types of support. So we have an amazing science advisory council that provides us with scientific expertise. Mm -hmm. And we've tried to share that with other groups that want to undertake water monitoring activities or various projects. Um, we we want to provide the educational resources that we develop with, with uh, our members and with communities. And we do have, um, I said I, there was nothing I couldn't announce, and this isn't an announcement, but we do have thoughts about how we can use our funds to support the development uh, and education of folks who are really adept at connecting science and policy. So mm. whether that's a scholarship or something, uh, it's something that's in the future and we need, we need to reflect on it as we come out of COVID. But one of the gaps we've noticed is um, the ability to drive evidence-based policy. So folks that are conversant in science and the scientific method and who are also conversant in policy and government decision-making. And we want to strengthen those connections um, and hopefully do that with, with youth and students in Manitoba. That's so important. Um, I recently had a conversation uh, with Brent Bellamy about the close open, uh, close the um, main street open situation and he sort of lamented about he was making the arguments that were purely facts-based science-based like really logic-based but he found that it didn't really sway the average voter per se um, how much of of your messaging has to be you know the emotional side of things and saying like do you want your grandkids to, to have clean drinking water and clean swinging water versus 
you know, there's this percentage of pH level, you know, like the, the science versus the emotion. And have you given that much thought where as like where you're spending your energy sort of discussing things with people? I'm curious. We, we think about that all the time. And that's such an important balance for us. And I think for for every nonprofit, for folks working across the charitable sector, people are motivated to give based on their feelings based on their connection to an issue or their connection to a group of people. And we need to recognize that and we, we need to, to engage them in, on a human to human level, right? We're all people, we're, we're not computers, but you have to be able to back it up with data. You can't go making up stories that aren't soundly based in all the knowledge that the nonprofit sector has about the various causes that we're, we're working on. Yeah. Very well said. Were you, were you a water baby growing up? Were you always in that? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 My family cottage is in the Whiteshell Provincial Park. And uh, yeah, I think I, I credit the time that I spent there as a kid with, you know, my career path now, and I'm watching my kids. They just, I can't keep them out of the water. They love it. They just are naturally drawn to it as I think we all are. It's the best. Yeah, we, we've camped a cup. my partner and I have camped a, a few times in the White Shell and it's it really is world caliber. Like I've been all over Canada, East Coast, West Coast. I've been, you know, <laughs> I've been very fortunate and privileged to be able to travel, but like this is some of the most gorgeous places I've ever literally been to. Do you think part of it is just encouraging people to get out and camp, get out and visit the lakes, go out to the beach and, and just sort of, you know, dip your toes in the water. And then that way you can't really be disconnected when you're thinking about the big picture. I think so. I think the more we can get people out to the lake. And when I say the lake, I mean, any lake in Manitoba, right? We all, mm -hmm. we all have different lakes we think of when we say that, but we have similar experiences when we get there. I think getting kids out to the lake, getting Manitobans out to the lake, um, making sure that it's accessible to everybody, making sure that it's accessible to people from all walks of life, to newcomers to Canada, to, to multi-generational people that have been on the lake. We need, we need to share this experience as widely as possible. Very well said. What what, what was your background before the Lake Winnipeg Foundation? Because it seems like you this is kind of the perfect gig for you. But, but <laughs> where, where did you come from from before? Uh, well, I I was in academia, so I was working on my PhD in agriculture and environmental science at the cool. University of Manitoba, um, and I think that was an incredibly valuable experience. I'm a, I'm trained as a scientist, so I'm trained to understand the scientific method and to be able to understand and use data. Uh, but I really have a passion for the connections that mm -hmm. come in the nonprofit sector, right? And uh, I've I've really enjoyed the work of figuring out the policy side of things and and ways in which that the science and the policy can start to communicate more effectively. Yeah, that's so important, especially because a lot of times the uh, policymakers might not be that well versed when it comes to the scientific method per se. Um, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for both your organization and uh, Manitobans in general when it comes to our freshwater lakes and, and our rivers and our waterways? Uh, well, one of the things I think we've touched on this already, but we we tend to frame our problems as being complicated and impossible to solve. Um, and I, th I think that's daunting, right? So, so disengagement and apathy uh, or the sense that, mm -hmm. well, pff, what can I do to change mm -hmm. this, right? And we do need to take collective action and we do need to rally, you know, 
voters and citizens behind solutions, but they're not all that hard, right? There, there's many things that we could be doing here that have been done in other jurisdictions. Um, we, through, through the Lake Winnipeg Foundation's work in community-based monitoring, we've identified phosphorus hotspots. So those are areas within the larger watershed of Lake Winnipeg where we need to focus our efforts. So it's no longer a question of thinking about the land base between the Rocky Mountains and Thunder Bay, all of which drains into Lake Winnipeg. Now we can go out and focus on phosphorus hotspots. So I think that's a really cool example of how data is driving uh, our efforts and making what we, what are, making our solutions more effective. Very well said. You, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago um, sort of respecting the knowledge of people who have been here for a long time. And I, and I am speaking mostly of, you know, indigenous peoples who have been tending and stewards of the land and, and the water for so many years. How much of your work is spent sort of communicating and connecting and trying to build bridges with the people who have literally been, you know, taking care of the world for thousands of years since before we got here and like using that knowledge and implementing that knowledge in sort of a, in a marriage of modern and, and ancient techniques is that is that something that's on your on your plate right now yeah i mean we are um we partner with the lake winnipeg indigenous collective which is a group of first nations from around the lake um which is coming together to ensure that indigenous voices are present in our conversation i went to a lot of meetings in uh, my early days with lwf where there were no indigenous people around the table Indigenous governments weren't represented, Indigenous rights holders weren't represented, and we were talking about really important decisions. Um, so the Lake Winnipeg Foundation felt that we could maybe provide a platform to uh, a space to enable Indigenous people to come together to talk about their perspectives and their concerns. Our goal was never to uh, bring Indigenous people together to champion the Foundation's priorities, but to foster Indigenous voices, uh, create space, provide resources so that Indigenous voices could be part of the conversation and Indigenous concerns and perspectives could be brought forward. And we have a lot more work to do. Uh, we, I think, like everybody across this country, need to really understand what it means to be uh, on Indigenous land. Uh, as an environmental organization, we really need to understand that. As a science-based organization, we need to understand the difficult and complicated history between scientists and, and Indigenous communities. Um, and we need to educate ourselves um, within our organization to just make sure that we're, we're inclusive and we're respectful and we're, we're listening to Indigenous perspectives. Uh, when it comes to bringing together science and Indigenous knowledge, the risk there is that uh, it's always a question of making sure Indigenous knowledge agrees with science, right? Mm. And that's not what we want. So mm. I, think, I think what we need to start doing is recognizing which knowledge system is the best to answer the question at hand. And in some cases, the question will be best answered by science. And in other, other cases, science is not the knowledge system we need to answer that question. We need to look to Indigenous knowledge to get the right answer. Right. Yeah, I'm th I keep going back to the zebra mussels. My friends and I were talking about it um, quite, you know, frequently. And that's an example of something that wasn't here, before, you know, it came from elsewhere. So you might not necessarily have an ancient way of dealing with it since it's a new invasive species. But yeah, the AIS, is that what the 
I had aquatic invasive species. Yeah. Right. Is that a is that a pretty frequent you know focus for for scientists these days as far as like making sure we we keep the balance and try to maintain the balance of our waterways and, and lakes? Yeah, biological invasions is a whole academic field of study. So understanding how new species come in and invade ecosystems, what impact they have on um, the native species there. And so it, yeah, it's, it applies in terrestrial ecosystems and in aquatic ecosystems. And obviously zebra mussels is a big one because um, it's not the only invasive species in Lake Winnipeg, but it's certainly one that visitors to the lake will experience pretty directly the way that you did, right? You have to kind of be an expert in so many different avenues and conversations, right? It, it, are you just constantly learning and studying yeah, in, this, in this role? Because there's always something new to, you know, learn about. And Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's that's why I love it. And that's why it's a big challenge, right? I feel like the, the job of executive director is uh, figuring out the answer to the question you got asked on Tuesday by Friday, right? So it's it's kind of and we're we're a growing organization as well. And as we talked about earlier, you know, interest and concern for environmental issues is growing. So there's certainly demand for the work that we do and and we need to responsibly and and in a strategic and educated way expand to address those concerns. What are some of the f- f- frequently asked questions that you're fielding or your team is fielding? Like, what are some of the concerns from just the average Joe Schmo that they're calling and asking or calling and offering help? Or like, what, what are you dealing with on an average day? Well, we get a lot of questions about zebra mussels, right? It's, it's new and it's weird and it's changing the way that we experience the lake. Um, we also get a lot of questions about what causes algae blooms on the lake, which is, that's the focus of our work is to reduce uh, the severity and the frequency of the algae blooms. And they're caused by the nutrient phosphorus, which is a nutrient that we all need for life. We all have it in our bodies. We all need it to grow and be healthy, but in excess, it causes excessive growth of growth of algae. So we're working to reduce phosphorus loading uh, to the lake from various sources in the watershed. So we get questions about what are the sources? What's the biggest one? What's the most important one? Um, how long is it going to take? <laughs> uh, and we, uh, we operate using what we call the Lake Winnipeg Health Plan, which is a set of evidence-based actions which are sector specific. So we talk about um, how wetlands and protecting wetlands helps us reduce phosphorus. We talk about how effective sewage treatment helps us reduce phosphorus. We look at agricultural practices that can be used to keep phosphorus on our farms and out of our lakes. Right, there's like just those three things you just mentioned are you could spend a you know master's thesis yes. exploring, <laughs> right? So there's so much. I mean, what are you, what are you looking forward to when it comes to your work moving forward? Is there anything that's coming down the pipe here? Like, okay, this is going to be a big thing for us, or is there anything coming on the calendar that you're excited for? Um, well, we mentioned it earlier about finding ways to connect science and right. policy. Uh, any programs that we can develop uh, that do that are really exciting to me. Um, our community-based monitoring network is designed to do that. So we work across southern Manitoba with um, watershed districts, with citizen volunteers. We provide them with training and equipment uh, to collect water samples so that we can get a broad understanding of what's happening across the watershed. Um, and I, I love that stuff. I, I'm also really excited by 
the degree of community engagement that mm -hmm. LWF has, and and we're still seeing that grow. Um, that was one of the the first things that attracted me to the foundation. Actually, I'd I'd worked for nonprofits, and what struck me about LWF was how committed its members were and how engaged they were, um, and that 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 connection with your members directly is is difficult right the the charitable sector i think struggles with that with staying with staying connected and so um to to have watched those connections grow and to know so many of our members by name and to have watched their engagement in the foundation expand has been really special and i look forward to that continuing I would imagine there's some pretty passionate folks that are underneath your umbrella, right? It's And it's probably pretty cool, too. You mentioned that you had kids, like seeing the next generation coming up and working with students who are, who are on the cutting edge of, of, the, of the conversation. How do you feel when you see that next generation coming up and, and how they're dealing with, you know, what's got to be a pretty anxious situation when they're seeing you know, the oceans on fire and they're choosing to de to to dedicate their time to solving some of the problems that uh, that are that are ahead of them. I feel so excited when I engage with youth or when we hire staff people who are younger. Like the the environmental knowledge that they have from the get go. And the conviction that they have that things don't need to be this way, we can change for the better, is just so inspiring to me. Um, I think that, you know, inevitably as you age, you get more set in your ways and you, you know, you just, what you learned when you were young is what carries you through. But uh, there's just so much more commitment to change and so much more knowledge and awareness in younger generations that it gives me a lot of hope for the future. I don't know if you feel the same, but like, you know how there's, there's kind of that old stereotype of that, that old curmudgeons are like, oh, kids these days are lazy. I've like, every kid I meet is just a superstar genius, like way smarter than me, better, you know, and it, it's wild that I, I don't think that we're going to have that same level of like, oh, kids these days, they're not, you know, uh, do, do you feel the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I meet these young people and I think, man, they are so much farther along than I was at their age. Like, imagine where they're going to end up. Yeah, it's inspiring stuff for sure. Um, if anyone that's listening right now who wants to get involved with the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, what's the best way to do that? Uh, the best way would be to reach out to us either through our social media channels or uh, our website and uh, let us know what you're interested in. We have we have volunteer opportunities. We have um, events based uh, fundraising that we do over the summer. We have advocacy work that we do that that really we we need to engage directly with people and share our message and, and they amplify that for us. So yeah, absolutely. Reach out. We're, we say we're, we're guided by science, but we're powered by people here at LWF. So we can't do what we do without, without the people. Beautiful. Yeah. I would imagine too, that there's there, because there's such a varied sort of scope of what you do, there is really room for everyone and their abilities, no matter where they're coming from. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, so at the end of our time together, we do a little segment called just because it's the same seven questions that I ask all my guests. Uh, you okay to go through those seven with us? Sure. Yeah. All right. Great. So it's, it's all about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your, has had on your life. Um, so the question one is what's the very first ever cause you remember caring about? I think it's been environment with me all the way. Like we talked about being water babies. Yeah, if you if you grow up 
in the natural environment on the shores of the lake. You just, you can't get it out of you. Uh, yeah, so true. Um, question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What's the first thing you would do right now in support of, you know, LWF? I'd make sure every kid in Manitoba got to spend time at the lake because that is going to mean we'll have a generation of water stewards coming up behind us to make change. Yeah. Do you guys, are you involved with camping or anything like that at Lake Winnipeg? We're, or just... we're not. We're, yeah. uh, we're developing right now uh, just at the very beginning of, of kind of broadening our education program. And I'm excited about what might be possible, what sort of hands-on land-based learning we might be able to do. But uh, that's not that's not something we do yet. It, it really is. Like we have a, a friend of, of mine that comes camping with us all the time and she would take like 10 or 15 young women or young girls on canoe trips with like portaging and just the the knowledge that she has gained. And just I, I always joke, like if the if the uh, zombie apocalypse comes, I'm coming <laughs> for you, you know, because they're just so good at surviving and just any in any situation, you can build a fire and chop a tree, to, you know, like uh, anything yeah, I mean, that needs to happen. And, and it's so, so valuable. But uh, yeah, that just reminded me of that. Question three, what's the biggest stigma right now or misunderstanding about about your cause? Uh, I think that the solutions we need to enact, um, people feel that they're difficult and complicated right. and daunting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we've talked about this. I think we actually have the solutions we need at hand. We just need to commit to doing them. So is that a is that mostly a policy situation then? Like if we need a top-down sort of leadership to prioritize these conversations and prioritize these changes into happening or like, you know, what, cause it, just as the average citizen, it feels like the, I, this is a, my priority. I want people to, you know, have clean drinking water and take care of our, our lakes. But like, what's the, what, what am I missing? You know? What's yeah. The... Um, I think it's, <laughs> um, we're, we're caught in these really short cycles, right? Short political cycles, short news cycles, uh, we get a little bit of that goldfish thing going, right? It's next time around the bowl, you've forgotten what happened last time. <laughs> um, and we that that's why I think LWF can sort of serve as that collective memory of, you know what? No, right. we we asked for solutions for Lake Winnipeg. We handed you ideas, and now we expect them to be implemented. So right. um, it doesn't make for great uh, news stories, right? Because it's the same thing over and over again instead of something sensational and new. Um, but I, I think the solutions are going to come from the bottom up, right? I think mm. as we see, uh, as we have seen the awareness growing, as we see more and more of these amazing young people casting their votes, uh, the, it's going to be impossible to ignore some of these issues and be a successful policymaker in Canada. It's reason for optimism for sure, because yeah, it, like you said before, like they, the next generation just doesn't tolerate the things that we've kind of tolerated. Yeah, when it comes to it, apathy. That's exactly it's like, it. It's like, no, that's not an option. Like, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's exciting too. Uh, question four. So question four actually used to be, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A was working out <laughs> and this season we had to change because everyone was like, well, when COVID started, we had to pivot. Uh, but question four is a new one now. So what is a recent victory that's either personally or professionally that you're you're happy with or you're proud of? Um, this is maybe not recent, but back in 2019, we succeeded in making sewage treatment an election issue. Mm. And I'd never seen that before. And, uh, you know, the, the line is sewage isn't sexy, 
but enough people were talking about it uh, that that we had statements from the you know the political parties in Manitoba on their plans for sewage treatment. So that's huge. That felt awesome. Yeah, that is. And that's pretty, I mean, when it comes to COVID times, two years ago could have been two weeks ago for, for <laughs> experience. So that's close enough. Definitely. Uh, question five uh, is, what is the best advice you think you've ever been given? Mm. Um, I have learned a lot about uh, a strengths-based approach to work. And um, someone who was doing a training explained how if you invest in the things that you're good at you will leap ahead so much farther and so much faster than if you focus on your weaknesses mm. um and i think that was just sort of that was a revelation for me right because we i think we have this narrative when you know as we're growing up and as we're going to school you've got to be well-rounded right you got to make sure that you're balanced and you can do everything well and uh, but when you focus on what you're good at and what you're passionate about and what you love and you invest in that, you can you can go so far. Yeah, I think about that a lot when people think, oh, what are you going to what are you going to be when you grow up? And I think the question should be, what are you good at? What do you love? What are you good yeah. at now? Like, what, what are you passionate about? Because then it's not work. It's not really pr you don't as soon as it's practicing like oh i don't want to go to practice then you're done right but as soon as you're just like you just wake up and want to do the thing that you love and that you're passionate about it's 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 just a win-win in that way but yeah that's really good advice I've, I've never really thought of it like that focus on your strengths focus yeah. on what you're good at and and things will work out yeah very well said uh question six what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could go back in time and talk to her mm. um i'd say trust your intuition. Mm. Uh, it's, and I, I know I've been talking a lot about evidence and data and database decision, but I, I do think that um, we downplay the significance and the value of intuition. And it's an important um, source of sort of personal and internal knowledge that we need to listen to and follow. Very, you can just feel when something feels right or when something yeah. feels off, right? And just trust and, tr and hone that skill because yeah, it'll serve you well. Yeah, very, very well said. Alexis, thank you so much for being here. This, I really, I, I knew that this was going to be a great conversation. I've been looking forward to it for a long time because uh, I've heard you speak before and I, and I just, I think you're a great resource for Winnipeg and, and for, for the lakes and the waters in general. Um, so thank you. And question seven, the last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a zinger at the end. I would like to be remembered for serving the public good and not compromising uh, for in individual gain. I'd like to stay focused on, and I know we all get distracted and there's all sorts of opportunities and temptations, but um I, I think as a society, we need to shift back to think about how we're helping each other out the and not just ourselves. The collective we as opposed to, uh, you know, there's no yeah. I in team kind of. Yeah. And, yeah. No, very well said. Thank you, Alexis. This has been an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing it for us. Uh, LakeWinnipegFoundation.org or Twitter.com slash at Save Lake, Winnip Save Lake WPG if you want to um, get and connect. 
Get in Connection with the Lake Winnipeg Foundation. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, tell our listeners before we let you go? I just want to say I hope everybody gets a chance to jump in a lake this summer. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you again to Alexis Canoe for being here on the podcast today. Uh, I know we mentioned it earlier, but again, it's at Save Lake WPG on Twitter and Instagram. So get involved. Let's get mobilized. This is an important topic for our generation and, and future generations, as we were talking about. And uh, it just needs more people talking about it, more people on board, more people part of the part of the cause. So let's uh, let's keep our darn lakes healthy. <laughs> like it seems like a no-brainer to me, but uh, for some reason, some people still haven't gotten that yet. That water is life, and we need to take care of that stuff. So yeah, get involved. See- at Save Lake WPG on Twitter and Instagram. All music on our show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com. Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about us, visit www.wpgfdn.org or by searching at WPGFDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all socials. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you again for subscribing. And thank you for recommending us to our friends. I very much appreciate it. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. And remember, thousands have lived without love, not one without water. Bye-bye.